You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. And it just so happened um, that uh, the past two days, uh, Thursday and Friday, uh, I had an opportunity with our student ministry uh, to have an alpha day away with middle schoolers on Thursday and high schoolers on Friday. Uh, that dovetails very, very well into this series called Encounter. Uh, one of the messages that was shared uh, at that retreat, both of those days, is how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And last week we learned that Christians are called not to get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, so this kind of dovetails pretty, pretty well for us to talk about how can I be filled with the Spirit. So much of what I'll share today comes from one of those messages, not all of it, but, but much of what I share will be coming from uh, that Alpha Day Away. So uh, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to help us as we look at several passages on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. God, we have prayed and we pray one more time, fill us, meet us, direct us. And guide us as we look at your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's important to note that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, that we say right at the outset that every Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, has the Holy Spirit. But not all Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit. Having something is not the same thing as being full of something. It is no insult for the Apostle Paul to uh, tell a group of Christians in Ephesus uh, that they need more of something, even though they have something. And it's no insult for me to tell you, uh, you know, having one bar of reception is not as good as having full reception, as having full, full bars of reception. So uh, I used to some, somehow get in, a little insulted about that when, when Christians would encourage me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd say, well, don't I already have the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, you do. Uh, but there is more to receive of the Holy Spirit. For instance, this, uh, ooh, sorry, this, this balloon is filled with air. And, uh, and we're grateful that it is. Uh, everybody see the balloon? And it's full. And, and we're grateful that it's full. And uh, this balloon is also full as well. So, uh, this has something, and this has more of something. And uh, the Holy Spirit is like that. He, he fills us, and He resides in us, but He also can fill us. And this is much more fun to, uh, to experience, the, this kind of life. And sometimes we settle for this as Christians in our Christian life. We can settle for having the Holy Spirit and not necessarily uh, be provoked to being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what he wants to do in our lives. Now, I don't know what to do with these balloons, so uh, I'm just going to awkwardly toss them out into the crowd there. And uh, there you go. See how much more fun that is? Okay, so uh, the command is to be filled, to be filled up all the way with the Holy Spirit, which, which invites a question, doesn't it? How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
Well, in, in the book of Acts, we see five different times that people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And these five different categories are, are kind, of, uh, kind of people. They, they kind of serve as five different kinds of people that are in this room and are at home. Anytime that we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, we see a group of people who are longing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're eager, they're expectant, they're hopeful to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. So maybe today, that's you. That describes who you are. You are longing. You're eager. You're leaning in. You're saying, I want to encounter uh, more of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so you would be longing for that. Another kind of people show up in Acts 8, where it's a group of Samaritans. They hear the gospel, they respond to the gospel, uh, but they weren't necessarily longing, but they were open. They were receptive. They were, they were open to the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, later in Acts, we see uh, uh, somebody who is hostile to the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There might be a couple here today that based on something in the past or some teaching on the Holy Spirit, you might, you might be hostile. The Apostle Paul was hostile to the idea of the Holy Spirit until he was later, uh, he, later he met Jesus personally in Acts 9 and then was filled with the Holy Spirit. But you might be here today and you say, you know, I'm kind of hostile to that idea. Uh, or you could simply be uninformed. In Acts 19, there's a group of believers who are, uh, they know about the Father, they know about Jesus, but they're kind of uninformed on the person of the Holy Spirit, and the Apostle Paul teaches them. But the group of people I would like to address this morning is the fifth category, and that's the category of the unlikely. And that's going to be represented by Cornelius and his household from Acts chapter 10. So, and we're going to have it up here on the screen. The fifth category is unlikely because you could be here today and you could say, you know what, Uh, I've been in church, in and out of church a lot of my life, but I don't really think this kind of thing would ever happen to me. And you might say that because you say, you know, I'm not touchy-feely, I'm not that kind of way. Uh, You could say, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I'm skeptical of experiences for a variety of reasons. Or you could say here, you know, I don't know if I even believe in Jesus, and I'm not the religious type anyway. And so you would be in the category of unlikely. The most unlikely people to ever be filled with the Holy Spirit in the Bible were Gentiles. In the ancient world, there were the religious people who were the Jews, and there were the non-religious people who were the Gentiles. And in the early days of Christianity, it was only the religious type who became Christians, and those were the Jews. And Jews hated Gentiles, and Gentiles hated Jews. And it was just two warring cultures Unlike any polarization that we're experiencing, even in this moment in U.S. history, nothing compares to the polarization between these two cultures. Well, what happened was Cornelius, who was a Gentile, who's a non-Jew, received a very clear message from God with a vision. And at the exact same time, Peter received a very clear message from God. And the Holy Spirit brought these two people together. And as a result of that, Peter preaches the good news to Cornelius. 
and his household about Jesus. And while he's preaching the gospel, this is what happens in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 44. It says that while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Well, what happened in this moment? Well, at least... At least three things. The first thing that happened is that they all experience the new life that the Holy Spirit brings. Notice in verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So they're hearing the gospel. They're hearing about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is turning the lights on in this household of people about who Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit interrupts the, the preached word even, uh, which is difficult to get a preacher to stop preaching, but the Holy Spirit does. He just falls on everybody who is hearing the word. And they are amazed that the Spirit is poured out, notice, even on the Gentiles in verse 45. Even on this group of people, the Holy Spirit is being poured out. And they come to find new life in God and in Christ. Verse 47, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people, Peter says. The answer is no way because they've encountered new life that the Holy Spirit brings. Notice what the Holy Spirit does that, that really uh, no human being could ever orchestrate this. The Holy Spirit prepares Cornelius the Holy Spirit prepares Peter. The Holy Spirit leads Peter to Cornelius. The Holy Spirit empowers Peter with the words to say. The Holy Spirit interrupts his sermon to fall on Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit dismantles the hostility between two polarized cultures. Now let me ask you, do we need the Holy Spirit in this day? We need the Holy Spirit to do what we cannot do. And he delights to do what we cannot do. A couple of years ago, we met uh, our friend Frank Quintero. And uh, he lived somewhere around the square. He heard the, the chimes of the, the bell tower of, uh, of our church. And he came to our church and we heard his story. And Frank is a guy that was at that time crippled by anxiety and depression. He was very good uh, with work. His marriage was struggling. He was crippled by anxiety. And one of those, uh, those things that was aiding that, that anxiety in his life was his relationship with his dad. And uh, it, it, it so happened that his, his grandmother passed away. He wanted to go to his grandmother's funeral, but he feared his dad and he had an animosity and hatred towards his dad that he thought was, was mutual. And uh, he was baptized here at the church. And at his baptism, baptism, he said this, When I arrived at the funeral, I was shocked by my father throwing his arms around me like the story of the prodigal son and told me his life had been transformed by the sacrifice and the grace of Jesus Christ. And he says, All the hate, all the hate that had been there 
suddenly emptied out of me for this man who I had feared. And he says, if God could transform this man whom I feared my whole life into the person before me, then what was missing in my life? I knew who God was, but I'd never surrendered to him and allowed him to be Lord or Savior of my life. Something happened in Frank's dad. And he caught on to this new life of the Holy Spirit and it set his dad free. And then Frank witnessed that and it started to set Frank free. And he came to our church and Pastor Bob over here led him uh, into a relationship with Jesus. And, uh, and the hate emptied out of Frank. Let me ask you a question. Are you overcome with hate for anyone in your life? Are you overcome with hate for any kind of people in your life? The Holy Spirit can break through that and give you new life and even a supernatural love for other people. Are you skeptical about all of this and, uh, and, and, and worried about what would happen if I surrendered my life to the Lord? He is inviting you to trust in Jesus and let his love and his life fill you and set you free. That's the first thing that happens to this group of Gentiles. They experience the new life of the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing. They experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 47. The question is, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, Peter says. Listen, Peter's being very specific here. Whatever happened to Peter in a previous experience was very similar to what was happening at that day in the household of Cornelius. Well, what happened to Peter before? Well, in Acts chapter 2, Peter had experienced a moment of being filled with the Holy Spirit along with other Jewish people. And they'd all received the Holy Spirit. And when that happened in Acts 2, it says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Well, what is fire all about? Well, fire in the Bible signifies God's presence that always purifies everywhere that his presence goes. It purifies and that presence spreads and that that purity spreads out. Fire spreads and that's kind of what... God's spirit does. He spreads and moves out. And it kind of works like this. If you took a piece of damp wood and you threw it on the fire, like I did last week on vacation at a beach in Galveston, we never made a fire on the beach and it was working. Uh, But then I had some damp wood and I threw it on the fire. And uh, at first nothing happened. And the reason it didn't happen, nothing happened because it was damp. And you started to see sizzling and crackling and you started to see smoke. And what was happening was something that had to be extracted from that damp piece of wood. And that's, that's what was happening. It, was, it had to be kind of purified before it caught on fire. And that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does when he falls upon us. Sometimes uh, it, it doesn't look very pretty. Sometimes there's a lot of smoke and it's, it's kind of awkward. But there's this purifying uh, good thing that the Holy Spirit does. This is something that I experienced when I was a teenager. I had wandered far from God. I'd found myself at the very back of a small Baptist church, the church of my childhood that I hadn't been to in probably six years. 
And uh, it was the most unlikely moment in my life. I, I wasn't planning on being there. I had no, no huge uh, expectation to encounter God uh, at that moment. I just sort of showed up. But I'm back at the back of the church, and I experienced something that felt purifying, something that felt holy, something that felt loving, and something that felt safe all at the same time. And it even came with a kind of strange physical manifestation. I don't know how else to say that. I don't want to weird anybody out, but it did feel like a warmth from God covering me and filling me. And I I struggled to explain that to people over the years. But as I have shared that story, other people have experienced similar things. Um, And that's what happened to me. Something purifying was taking place in my life. And eventually, just like a damp piece of wood eventually catches fire, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit fills us. The fire of God comes on a person, and it's kind of like they catch on fire. Uh, Not physically, but, but spiritually. Jesus said that he would baptize people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that fire is like the holy love of God being poured into our hearts. Romans 5, the Apostle Paul says, this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is, is like the love of God is poured into our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So that's, that's this love being poured out into our hearts. And sometimes it comes with physical manifestations and sometimes it doesn't. And it's not something like we should chase after the, 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 the physical manifestation. That would be, uh, that'd be weird and sort of backwards. When you fall in love, there are a variety of responses. Some people say, when I fall in love, it's kind of like my heart skips a beat. Other people say, you know, when I fell in love and when I thought about that person, my hands got really sweaty. But nobody ever seeks sweaty hands. Nobody says, you know, I want that. I want to experience the, the, the sweaty palms just like you are describing. No, 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 nobody wants that. It provokes something in us to pursue the relationship. And whatever comes out of that pursuit comes. And, uh, and we just shouldn't be surprised by it. I share all that just to say that when we invite the Holy Spirit to fill us, we shouldn't be surprised if something like that happens. Well, God wants to show us that we are desperately in need of this power from the Holy Spirit. I want to show you a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. And I want you to see how dependent we are on the Holy Spirit to really fully experience God's love. Ephesians 3 says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Let me just pause right there. Notice the word comprehend. That's engaging all of your mental faculties. That's what it means to comprehend anything. And that's what it means here. To fully engage all of your mind in the process, we need the Holy Spirit's help to do that. Well, comprehend what? Comprehend first the breadth and how wide is his love. I think through our Vacation Bible School, we saw that there are at least 
people here in this church from every single continent and, and something like 20 some odd nations. The love of Christ reaches out to every tribe and every nation and every place in the world. There is no pocket of people anywhere on this globe that the breadth of his love does not extend out to. And we need the Holy Spirit to comprehend that. We need the Holy Spirit to comprehend how long his love is from eternity to eternity. Some of you are here today say he can't, he can't know everything about me, but he does. He knows all of you all the way through every moment, every season, every joy and every heartbreak in your life. We need his help to comprehend how deep his love is. How deep is his love? You ever felt like you were in a pit that God can't see me? I'm all the way down here. I think there's somebody listening today and that would describe you. You feel like you are way down in this pit and there's no way that God sees me all the way down here. And, uh, and I, I think God wants to communicate. I'm looking up at you because I, uh, my, my love goes even deeper than you ever imagined. And I see all of you and I can rescue you out of this pit with my love. The love of Christ reaches all the way down. And then we need his help to comprehend how high it is. It can lift us up to the highest place to recognize where we are seated in the heavenlies as his sons and his daughters. Listen, he can lift us up out of the pit and he can help us to see who we are in Christ. And if you take those four things, you take the width and the length and the height and the depth, what does that form? Many theologians believe that Paul is pointing to a formation of the cross right there. And that is how we know God loves us because he came in the person of his son to die for you and me. And Paul prays that we would grasp that, that we would understand that, and that we would comprehend the love of Christ. We need his spirit to help us know it, see it, and comprehend it. But then he prays for one more thing. Notice, he goes on to pray, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So we need his help to understand what we can know. But then he says, you can't simply intellectually understand this love. You have to experience it in your hearts. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives us an experience of God's love for us. And that's why he goes on to pray that you be filled up with the full measure of God. I met a friend named Hunter at an Alpha Day Away. He was a young adult teaching Hebrew at a Jewish school at the time. Um, he uh, was invited by friends uh, to come along and be a part of Alpha. And he found himself at this Alpha Day Away. And we met and we, uh, we hit it off. And he started to share some of his story with me over dinner. He was raised in this area, in the DFW area. He went to a Catholic school. Uh, but because of, of, of just challenges in his life, he just didn't believe that God wanted to have anything to do with him. If there was a God, he doesn't want anything to do with me. He made that decision pretty early on in his teen years. 
Hunter is a brilliant guy, and uh, just meeting him, I could tell, man, this guy's crazy smart. And he shared his story that he got into Columbia studying linguistics, and um, it just was soaring in linguistic language, and ended up studying Hebrew, and fell in love with the culture, fell in love with, with uh, the Hebrew language, and eventually became an Israeli citizen. And I was like, I don't even know how you do that, but he, he, he did that. Uh, and, uh, and while he's doing that, he was studying the Hebrew scripture. He was well-versed in the writings of the Apostle Paul, but, but now as this kind of nominal uh, Jew. But he didn't have in his life what he read about Paul when he spoke about the freedom from the law that condemns us and righteousness and forgiveness and life in Jesus. He didn't have that experience. And that day... He wanted it. Actually, it was literally after this talk on how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit that Hunter came up to me, asked to, if I could just pray with him, for him to receive and be filled with the love of God. That surpasses knowledge. You could be very smart, but you need the love of God that surpasses even your own faculties. And, and Hunter received that. Became a Christian that, that day. Well, the last thing is that they experienced new praise to God. It says that they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Extolling means to declare something to be great. So these Gentiles are not being quiet. They are like out there, man. They are like praising God and they didn't need a workshop on how to worship. They are filled with the Holy Spirit and they start to declare the greatness of God. And, and that comes with emotion. And historically, I was very skeptical of emotion in church. And things started to change when I believe, you know, as a senior in high school, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. But I can remember the first time I ever lifted my hands in worship. I don't know if, you, if you've had a story like this. You've, you've experienced that first time you've ever done that. And it was really challenging to do that. I didn't want to be perceived as self-righteous. I didn't want to be perceived as... Uh, as overly like charismatic. And so I just uh, struggled with that. But I eventually did. I, I raised my hands in worship. And when I did, uh, I was in college at the time, something seemed to, to break in terms of fear and just being more bold in my expression of love for God and love for others and communicating that to God. And, uh, and I just started to enjoy lifting my hands in worship. And it was a couple of years later, as a young pastor in this traditional church, one of the ladies asked to meet with me. And uh, she was very concerned. And so we met, and she said, uh, in, in no uncertain terms, Pastor, I just need you to know this. We don't do this. We don't do this. And I just thought, what do you mean? We don't wave goodbye to people? We don't wave hello? We, what, what are you talking about? What, what is that? And then I thought, oh, no. I know what she's talking about. I had become one of them. I had become one of those people that had raised, you know, be, one of those uh, emotionalistic kind of people without my knowing. And I, I, I took great offense to that because, hey, I'm not an emotionalistic kind of person. Um, but listen, there is no fear of raising your hands to God and receiving and expressing that to the Lord. All early worship in the church, all prayer uh, in the early church, the normal form of prayer was with Lifted hands. That sounds kind of crazy in, the, in these days, but that's actually how they used to pray. 
Um, so if you come into a church, you see everybody with their arms in the air, just say, you know, I've come into a very traditional church going all the way back to the first century. That's how Paul told Timothy, pray, pray with raising holy hands in prayer. So, well, uh, here's, how, here's how we're going to close. The, the band is, is going to come up, and I, I want to share very briefly what are some barriers to receiving the Holy Spirit. Because you could be here today, and you could say, I'm open But I've got some barriers in my life to receiving the Holy Spirit. Up here on the screen, Jesus answers very clearly and quickly the barriers that we all face to receiving more of the Holy Spirit in my life. And the first one is doubt. Notice that Jesus says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. And you can just kind of see the people in the audience going, "Mm, I'm not so certain. So then he goes on, seek and you will find. And yeah, still not certain, still not sure about that. And then he goes on to say, knock and it will be open to you. Somebody could still be like, ah, still not sure. Maybe for other people, but not for me. If you are struggling with doubt in receiving more of the Holy Spirit, Look at verse 10. Jesus says, for everyone, listen, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. He's being very clear. There's no reason to doubt that if you ask, you will receive. He also addresses fear. You could be a person, you could say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced, but... If I ask and I'd receive, do I really want to receive whatever he would give me? Would something terrible happen to me? Uh, you know, even what, what you just said, you know, about that whole warm feeling thing. I don't, I'm not into that. I don't, I'm, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid of that. Uh, and, and listen, here's what Jesus says in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? I mean, Jesus is basically saying, look, some of you are fathers. Suppose your son comes up to you and your son says, hey, dad, it's lunchtime. You say, okay, what would you like for lunch? He said, of course, Chick-fil-A, not on Sundays. And, uh, and you, you say, okay, son. And instead of going to Chick-fil-A, you go to a pet store, grab a snake and, and chunk it at him and say, there you go. Uh, enjoy lunch. Uh, th- that's craziness. That's craziness. Verse 12, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, he says, basically, you're a bunch of evil, evil dads anyway, a bunch of evil bunch. If you're being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's a good father. We don't need to be afraid to ask for anything from him, knowing that he is good. We don't need to be scared to receive from him. And lastly, real briefly, you could be here in a barrier to receiving is inadequacy. And I have struggled with inadequacy in my life many times. And an inadequacy works like this. If I asked, I'm not going to receive because God knows what I'm like and he knows that I don't deserve it. I, I want you to be real honest. Is that a barrier for you today? Notice that the words of Jesus is not How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit once you get your act cleaned up and you're a really holy person and you've been a Christian for a long time? 
That's not the qualification. He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So let's ask. Let's do that together. Out of respect for somebody who is next to you, who would like to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask everybody just to bow your heads and not be looking around and not be distracted by anybody around you. If you'd like to close your eyes, you can. If you'd like to extend your hands out, uh, like I talked about earlier, you can do that. It's just a nothing magical, just an expression of need for God. And let's invite the Holy Spirit to fill us. Let's just take a moment. Let's make some room. We're not in a rush. We're going to sing in just a second. We're not going to spend an overly amount of time doing this, but let's take a moment, make room. And, and you can do this at home as well. You can just take, get as quiet as you can at your home and extend your hands out and invite the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's get quiet, let's quiet our hearts and invite the Holy Spirit to fill us. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.